0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to Let's Pharmanize, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Shane Garrettson And I'm Cal Vandegra.
0: I'm Joe Murphy from Pharmacy Times.
1: Today, we've got a really special guest with us here today. Jill is joining us today from Pharmacy Focus, a Pharmacy Times original podcast. Go over there and check out their show. They've got some great content on there. So we're going to do a collaborative episode. So it's going to be structured a little bit differently. We're going to be looking at some old-timey medical treatments and how they've aged and how they compare to treatments of those same disease states today. We're really excited about bringing this to you today, and we hope you enjoy The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party.
0: So, guys, I was looking into these different remedies, and the first one that I would like to talk about is trepanation. And you guys looked into that, correct?
1: Yeah. So our friend Mickey actually brought this up on a really old episode. I don't know like a whole lot about it apart from comparing it to modern stuff today, but I I heard it's pretty intense stuff.
0: Yeah, I can give you a quick overview of that intensity really quick. So it's actually known as the oldest surgical procedure from archaic times. They basically found this out through cave paintings and human remains. And basically what they did was They cut a trephine hole into the skull and they would insert the instrument into the human brain and destroy parts of the brain. And that was basically what they thought was the cure for mental ill people or just for injuries, like if you had a concussion or something. So it was very intense for what they were trying to solve back in the day. And they found... About fifteen hundred skulls with these holes That's over insane. the years. And people still debate on if it was all real medical doctors or witch doctors. So it's been very interesting how they thought this would just release all of your pain or the spirits that are in your mind that they claim that they're
2: real. I don't think there was a licensing board back in the day, you know, in the cave painting <laughs> times to, to approve of trepanation. So cave painting yeah. times. <laughs> So back in cave
1: painting times, I'm assuming they didn't have like drills or like can openers or stuff. What
0: were they using? No, it it was basically just an instrument that was a long pole. And it just had this little like it looks like a little rock, like a triangle on the top. And they just went in and opened the brain. And if you look at old pictures, there's just like a random hole on the top of people's skulls. And there have been thousands of skulls like this found out throughout europe and other countries and it was interesting also because they thought that the heart was where emotions and thought came from so that's why they just went right for the brain to solve everything because they were like oh they still have their heart like they can still <laughs> think and do things without the brain
1: i wonder what they thought the brain was for it's just a
2: piece of jello up there
0: yeah, i guess like <laughs> yeah
1: some pink jello huh that's really interesting you know that the heart has long been associated with emotions and stuff but even as far back as the like 1700s i know that uh Rene descartes when he would do i think it was 1700s he's a philosopher Sounds he would right. he would do um i think therefore i am that guy yeah that's the guy yeah. he was really into brain stuff and he theorized that the soul was was within the pineal gland of the brain which is where we get melatonin
0: that's very interesting i did not know that we don't
1: harvest it from brains but that's where we produce our natural <laughs> melatonin and i want to make that clear that would be a lot we, we don't harvest melatonin gummies from human brains that's That'd be haunting. What the, what the gummies are made out of is actually... Mm-hmm. Mm. Just the pineal gland. <laughs> I bet that would be really salty. Yeah. There's a lot of sodium in the brain. Mm. <laughs> Gross. I don't know. I've never had brain. It's. I, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it.
0: I would not recommend it either. Yeah, so clearly there's been way more advancement in modern-day treatment for headaches and migraines, I'm assuming, and not just cutting people open <laughs> for their
2: brain. I think what we have to do here is differentiate between migraines compared to just a normal headache there's a few key differences between the two headaches include things like pressure aching whether that be mild too severe there's a variety of headaches based on a few different characteristics like cluster headaches sinus headaches thunderclap headaches which are usually associated with catastrophic brain events such as aneurysm or even a stroke or just pharmacy school headaches one of the two yeah yeah that's that's another one IPS exams. Yeah, IPS exams for sure. But migraines are distinctly different from regular headaches with a few key aspects with them, namely a neurological component such as visual disturbances, flashing lights, gray pulsating blobs that occlude part of your vision. I know Shane, I've never had a migraine personally, but I know Shane has had some issues with migraines in the past.
1: Yeah, not actually. So the migraines that I've had aren't like traditional migraines. They're really weird. They're actually not associated with a headache at all. And I don't have an official diagnosis of migraines. Migraines run in my family. But I've had things that I can only attribute to being a silent migraine. There was a time like a couple of years ago where I was just like really stressed out for like two weeks of my life. And every time when I would go to bed, I would close my eyes and it would be like someone was flipping the lights on or like waving a flashlight in front of my eyes for hours. And it was like just so bizarre because it was these really, really bright vivid flashing lights like I can't describe it any other way than it's it seeming like somebody was waving a flashlight in front of my eyes even though I was just laying in bed in the total dark trying to sleep really 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 weird and since then it hasn't happened even through the stress of pharmacy school I'm it not hasn't even said sure if that's a
2: migraine I don't even, you just, It's
1: if you look it up it'll, it just says like silent migraine that's like the that's only crazy. like because they can be stress induced too right it's really weird and my my mother and my grandmother have have migraines with visual auras so I, I would assume that I would be inclined to get it as well
2: I don't know. Have you ever had any experience with that, Jill?
0: Uh, no, that sounds like a completely different out-of-body experience to me, <laughs> <It> <laughs> especially with visual auras. So I hope I don't experience, but I'll definitely let you know if I ever deal with that. <laughs> You're the person I'll you call. You should
2: let someone know if that happens because I that doesn't sound normal. I don't no, know. It was fine. It's pretty cool, actually. It was like a, my own light show. So as Shane like the alluded to, uh, these rather weird-sounding side effects are actually pretty common amongst the populations with migraines. Um, diagnostics for migraines are pretty specific. A person must suffer at least five attacks, fulfilling various different criteria, including length being anywhere between 4 to 72 hours. It has to be unilateral. Um, it, it also depends on stuff like pulsating quality, Um, the severity of it, nausea, lighter sound sensitivity, and aggravation. There's a whole bunch of criteria to actually diagnose migraines. However, as we just talked about, it seems like there's definitely a spectrum in terms of migraines. Migraines also tend to have a hereditary nature, with this being reported as early as even the 17th century. Migraines have been around for a long time, and the wild thing about migraines is that we still don't really know the exact mechanisms behind them. There's a lot of different factors at play, but most theories point to a specific neurotransmitter serotonin and its effects on CGRP, otherwise known as the calcitonin gene-related peptide, which you may have seen in those Serena Williams-Yubrelvy commercials. I don't know if you've seen those.
1: I have seen her in those. Yeah. yeah. Those are, those are one of is one of the newer ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, who else was in the migraine commercial? One of the Kardashians, too. Oh, that I was oh, it's Chloe. Chloe. Yeah, it's <laughs> Chloe. I forget which migraine drug she's in. I'm blanking on it, but I know that she's in a she's get she gets migraines too. Anyway,
2: sorry. Continue. It's, no, that's okay.
1: Maybe it's a Jovi. It's one of the injectables, I think.
2: Yeah. That sounds right. A yeah. Jovi. I think it's a Jovi. Was she wearing like a pantsuit in that? I feel like she's wearing. Pants I don't know, know what she was, was she wearing. Was,
0: she was glammed up. I don't know what her outfit. Okay. Was <laughs> I think
2: I might like. I'm trying to access that memory deep into my brain that I did not care about at the time. That's where I store all my Kardashian <laughs> memories. <laughs> deep
1: locked away.
2: Anyways, most of the current mi- migraine treatments available today function by stopping the activity of CGRP. Triptans specifically stop CGRP from being released, and then there's CGRP receptor blockers, which prevent CGRP from binding to the receptor. This is those injectable drugs like Amovig, Mgalady, and Ajovi the Kardashian drugs. Yeah, exactly as well as the other oral drugs like Nurtec and Ubrelvi. And there's even a new infusion, Viepti, which is a monoclonal antibody that binds to the CGRP itself, thus making it just float around uselessly in the circulation. That being said, current migraine treatment and prevention is really effective. Triptans have been some of the top selling drugs on the market for a while, and the newer drugs are gaining traction as well. Trepanation doesn't really have a place for migraines today, but that doesn't mean there aren't surgical options. For refractory chronic migraines, patients can undergo what's called nerve decompression, wherein tissue that's been identified as causing pressure on a nerve is just removed. And then there's also neurectomy, which which severs a causative nerve in the cranium. Now, these surgeries are generally successful, but they're definitely last line and uh, much more delicate and nuanced than just drilling a hole in the skull. Trepanation does, however, have its uses in other fields of disease treatment. Epidural or subdural hematomas are bleeding in between the layers of the outside of the brain and the skull. Mostly caused by traumatic brain injury, car accidents, or other similar trauma. Something like this requires urgent intervention, which is definitely a surgical emergency trepanation is the fastest way to deal with that buildup of blood and just reducing the pressure on the brain yeah you know
0: what's crazy when you were talking about the history behind migraines is you said that some migraines last 72 hours i'm just picturing people back then just walking around with this agonizing pain they're like i don't know what to do let me just cut a hole in my (laughs) skull and get it out like that's honestly what i'm interpreting that's their cure to migraines you
2: know that's an interesting thought too because you could think about it like migraine just being like a really bad pressure headache i guess and it, it's just like i just need to relieve this somehow and then yeah. that's that's what you that's what you go to you just drill well, a hole in this if skull. you include
1: those neurological symptoms too like the the um this flashing lights and the occlusive gray blob i've seen the occlusive gray blob too only once that was weird but uh like i the way that i described it is the same way that a lot of other people who get migraines with aura have described it i have not had A migraine with a headache just like the fun stuff the fun part of migraines just like the weird lights so (laughs) it's the light show in your head yeah so i've I've seen (laughs) the gray blob just once and that was really weird because it was like blocking like right in the center of my vision so i couldn't read and then it went away after about 30 minutes that is so weird and it was well i was at work too and i was like i can't really read this prescription (laughs) what does this say So that was a weird, weird 30 minutes of my life. What was it? Where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. So back before we had like actual diagnosis of migraines, I would totally understand how they could be like, there's evil spirits in your head. We need to drill in there and get those things out. Right. Like something, you got a witch in your head or something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But even mental illness, I guess, back then they didn't have any type of research. So they just said, let me check out this one section of your brain and Cut it out. Maybe you'll not be as like upset anymore. Like I don't know what they are thinking.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I wonder if Sigmund Freud ever just like recommended to someone, "Hey, let's just drill a hole in this guy. Oh, I hate Freud. I don't like Sigmund Freud. He's dumb. Anyway, I'm sorry
0: so. you feel that way.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I think that uh, trepanation F minus not a great medical treatment except for, like for hemat- hematomas yeah. it, it works because for, it, for hematomas that's like the a... quickest way to get in there and relieve that that pressure, the buildup of blood because that can be uh, really, really dangerous, then they still also need to be able to stop the source of bleeding too, whatever that may be. But yeah,
2: so I think but we I can... wouldn't
0: recommend other than that. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah,
2: don't don't do that at home. Don't try this at home.
0: This one's a very interesting one. Yeah, so gonorrhea or the clap, this is our next one. So it comes from the Greek word gonos meaning seed, and then also "row," meaning flow, because back then early physicians thought that the Discharge was semen, so they thought it was just flowing through. Oh, that's lovely. And as we know, this is a sexually transmitted infection, and it usually hits the younger populations, and it can cause reproductive issues in many women out there. The earliest case is actually from the way back in the times of 1161. That is how long ago they discovered this because England made a law around it saying, we don't know what this is, but we're going to stop this infection and decrease it, even though we don't know how it's caused or anything about it. I appreciate that. also, as we know, it's called the clap. And do either of you know... Why it's called that?
1: I have my suspicions. Yeah, I don't. I don't so, even
0: want to. Sp- <laughs> also, with early physicians, there's actually two different things they thought. Number one, they thought it could refer to the French term clapier, which means a brothel, because they thought that's how this disease was spread. Or the other reason is since we didn't have antibiotics, they thought they were going to slap it or clap it out of the person in their private areas, um, and to get it out, the infection out that way. And it's it was either just clapping it on two boards or just clapping it anywhere and there actually were different treatments after this such as putting mercury in the urinary opening or silver nitrate was oh, also used worse and yeah they took a lot of different just random chemicals and just inserted in the person like oh this is gonna kill the infection. They also tried cubebs around 1859 which is like a variety of peppers and dried powdered unripe fruits and they also would extract a balsam of a copaiba tree in South America. They thought that would also stop the discharge. But finally, they got a vaccine in like the 1890s. Now I think I'm pretty sure they have a pill or an antibiotic. Um, Yeah, so there's a very, very interesting backstory. I want
2: to know whose idea it was that like, if you're symptomatic, and you're having a burning sensation in the private areas, why throwing peppers down the private areas is a good idea at all.
0: I guess they thought intensity with intensity just kills it. I don't really know. So,
2: you know, distract you from the rest of the pain. You're already in pain.
0: Might as well make it worse, I guess.
1: So that makes a lot of sense, though. I didn't realize that the when you said that the rhea at the end of gonorrhea is from comes from like to flow or to pass through Mm -hmm. that's also the origin of one of the earlier names for diabetes which was diarrhea of the urine and then diarrhea that rhea just means like to flow through and that's kind of how diabetes was described as just like peeing all the time because that's one of the major symptoms of untreated diabetes that's that's really interesting and also the fact that they would just try to sort of squeeze it out is it's disgusting but it makes sense because that was the thinking back then was if there's something wrong we just need to get this out so they would use like a lot of purgatives which is what they called in the olden days to make people throw up if they had like a stomach ailment and then it also makes sense if they would try to get it to come out the other end too, like you know give it the oh god that's just yes yeah, pretty gnarly definitely glad i'm that's filthy not a doctor but I'm glad i educated
0: days. you on this topic <laughs>
1: Definitely, definitely disgusting. But yeah, peppers, I think, would be the worst thing. Mercury is definitely the worst. Well, yeah. (laughs) You could get like a drop of mercury
2: on your skin and you would go crazy. Yeah, it'd be bad. Now, talking about putting that in the other areas.
1: (laughs) So... Gonorrhea is interesting because it is a bacterial infection. And you said something interesting. You said ghana comes from the term for seed. I'd like to know the origin of that specific terminology. That is really interesting. Maybe it's just the association with damaging actual like male fertility. Because it has the potential yeah. to to um, cause infertility in untreated cases. So maybe that's the terminology. Because they couldn't see the cells at this time when they were naming it. I don't think we could see cells until like the
2: 1600s with Leeuwenhoek. It might be um, in the first microscope. Maybe it might be kind of this might be kind of gross, but they might not realize that that was pus.
1: Yeah, that's what that's what Jill said. They yeah. thought it was they thought it was seed. So that's why and that it makes would make a too. lot more
2: sense if it was discolored seed. You know. That's... Oh,
1: that totally okay. I put it together. So it's the flowing of the seed. Okay. Yes. Gross. Yeah, it's nasty. Yeah. That's pretty not gross.
0: Not that nice, but.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that, that's pretty disgusting. So yeah. So gonorrhea is a nasty little monster, obviously. It likes to cling to the sides of the urethra, causing really intense pain and burning. And it's really interesting because it's typically asymptomatic in women, and it's symptomatic in men. So prior to bacterial staining, it was it was really tough to diagnose. Men are so much more susceptible to the burning associated with urination, and it's not really clear why some great scientists— um, meaning myself, theorize that it's just due to the increased length of the urethra in males, just allowing for literally more urethral real estate for the gonorrhea to cling on to the the sides of the urethra, just so that way you could cultivate a bigger crop of gonorrhea, if that makes any sense. That's just what I think. And I talked to a couple of professors about that, and they were like, I don't know, Shane, stop asking so many questions. (laughs) So And we know now that gonorrhea is, bacteria is treated with antibiotics, and gonorrhea is pretty easily treated and cured now with a single intramuscular injection of what's called rocephin or ceftriaxone, 500 milligrams, which is a third generation cephalosporin. The cephalosporins have been around for a long time. And this excels at killing gram-negative bacteria like gonorrhea. And doctors will also commonly throw in doxycycline if they suspect a gonorrhea and chlamydia co-infection, which I like to call two reasons I shouldn't have dated my ex. Wow. Did the, you, can, you can cut that joke if you want to, but we're going to keep it on our show. So the, one of the major concerns now with gonorrhea is, what's the word that starts with an R? Resistance. It's becoming more and more resistant to bacterial, antibacterial treatments. And that's I think they've just recently updated. This 500 milligrams of ceftriaxone is a, is a recent introduction to the guidelines. Mm-hmm. I think within the past five years, they've actually adjusted that dose. I'm not sure. I should have looked that up.
2: But I, I think so. They might have used something other than rocephin too, because there's a lot of other things that you could isolate for gram negative coverage than rocephin. Yeah,
0: I'm still intrigued that people today in today's world still call it the clap. Like if you talk about to anyone, they'll still call it the clap and they don't have any idea what it means. So I'm now, I feel very educated that I know what that means, but I also can't get that image out of my
2: head. Yeah. We're going to have so, to tell everybody. Once to you listen know, to this. you can't unknow. Yeah.
0: No, got to share this with the world. It, you can't unknow it.
1: <laughs> so the next question is, did clapping the genitals work? No, of course not. No way. You're still leaving the urethra coated in bacteria. You're not treating the infection you're at all. It's
0: still in pain. It's
1: so. it's still in pain. Absolutely. Now it's gonna be worse pain. And the worst thing here is that you could be expelling the bacteria back up into the bladder. If you're just like applying force, it's gonna be coming like both both directions. And you don't want bacteria in the bladder. There are really rare cases of gonococcal sepsis, which is when bacteria are circulating in the bloodstream. And although this has been associated with kidney transplants, I'd imagine there could be more severe complications with indefinitely untreated gonorrhea and physical mashing of the genitals. Clapping of the genitals is possibly the worst thing you can do to try to treat gonorrhea. Worst thing you can do,
2: period. There's no... (laughs) Period. (laughs) I can't think of a worse thing. That's pretty, pretty nasty.
1: And now, a word from our sponsor.
0: So in a less sexually transmitted way, now we're gonna talk about the iron lung. I'm assuming both you know kind of what this is.
2: Mm-hmm. Got a few
1: ideas. I just know so... that scene from um <laughs> SpongeBob. N- there was no iron. Yes. lung. There was SpongeBob. definitely was
2: there. There was like. Oh a... my
0: gosh! I know. <laughs> when I was looking up pictures for this, I now know why I knew this because I think Patrick or something was in the iron yeah. lung. I never understood.
2: Wait, <laughs> really? And then there was that one guy that broke his broke his tailbone on like the skiing thing and he put it like in it was like it was, like iron butt or something that's like that that's really yeah. funny
1: oh. i was thinking so about that
0: scene from,
2: from big lebowski i haven't i need to watch the big lebowski because we always reference it and i
0: never yeah, remember it's what you <laughs> have you seen the big lebowski <laughs> no
1: it's a classic it's a classic there's a scene with a guy in an iron lung and he's just like in the side of the room that with no explanation it's just like a, a gag i guess it's just funny
2: is this your homework larry Is this your homework, Larry?
1: But yeah, I'll have to check out that uh, Spongebob. I don't remember that.
0: Yeah, so clearly it's been used in pop culture. It's actually, it was invented more recently, so like 1920s, to help patients with polio. And like, like the name says, it helps the patients who are very ill with breathing and to help them recover enough from having this disease. So like when they don't have muscle control anymore, or the breathing exceeds their ability of what their lung capacity is. And like you said, it's basically just someone in a sliding bed and they're put into a cabinet So if you have claustrophobia, I would not recommend this because you're in a tightly locked shield and you have a rubber collar on your neck and it uses a negative pressure ventilator and it's forced on the patient to take in air to inhale and exhale. And basically what would happen, like a vacuum to inhale, air would be pumped out of the cylinder. It would use their chest and abdomen to expand and then to exhale, the air cylinder again would compress slightly and then the chest and abdomen would collapse. So it's basically like the machine was doing the breathing for you. You are listening to the breath of life as it is pumped by these tank respirators called iron lungs. Some people in my research said they found this very relaxing as other remedies that were older, they had to use a respirator on their mouth. So with the iron lung, they could lay down and not really think about doing anything. They just would go to sleep sometimes. Um, And some people, like you said, that guy in Big Lebowski was in the corner of the room in an iron lung. Not everyone is in the lung all the time. Some people did adjust their lifestyle to the machine. I've read about different older women and men who actually would still join clubs and have meetings with their friends and host parties in the lung and people just hung out with them and they just adjusted their life to having this lung. And as we know, modern medicine hasn't really used this, but I actually read that with COVID-19, people had more interest in bringing this device back because of COVID-19's effects on the lungs and they would use a positive pressure ventilator instead because it's very readily producible. So I found that very interesting that even though you don't really see it now unless it's like Spongebob or a movie people were thinking about bringing it back
1: that's pretty wild i had not heard about that but i guess it makes sense but geez that is not one thing that i expected for this century we're gonna bring back the iron lung in 2020
0: (laughs) the thing thing
2: about it is the comeback of the century mechanical ventilation is not actually it actually dates a lot farther back than than just the iron lung it goes back like five centuries when we first invented something like a mechanical ventilator, oh wow, and it wasn't it wasn't actually used in practice until like the night, late nineteen forties but um yeah, I mean like the iron lung is like is like the predecessor to that almost, but it just seems like in today's today's medical world, there's no way that's a practical way to i mean if you're that sick to where you can't breathe and it's not because of something like polio paralysis or something like that, you just need to be intubated it's it's so much easier to manage, yeah. And it's probably more hygienic, too. I mean, a lot of times, ventilator-associated pneumonias and stuff can happen, but I just imagine there's no good way to clean an iron lung.
0: And also, I read that they first used the iron lung on children and because it was like more efficient and it was lighter for them and they're smaller. Yeah. So I'm curious like, how big this iron lung would have to be for adults and especially in today's world like would people be comfortable or would it just be more for like children i don't
2: even i don't even think it was fully a choice either because that's kind of how polio presents itself as a a, when you're a child and that's kind of just when you it would be necessary so yeah i I didn't think about that actually because normally when you when you think about the iron lung you think about some six foot tall dude just like in an iron lung you don't ever think about like it being for a child imagine having to like upgrade your iron lung long <laughs> getting the latest edition <laughs> of traded in yeah big <laughs> day <Trade laughs> too many miles are on long dealership <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about polio and the reason why the iron lung was so effective for that. Much like smallpox, there is no current treatment for polio other than the vaccine, of course. However, the prognosis is pretty good if you do contract polio today. With supportive care and bed rest, most people recover with no long-term complications. Symptoms typically appear within a few days after exposure and include things like fever, headache, sore throat, vomiting and malice, not unlike the flu or a bad cold. There is, however, the very small percentage of cases of polio that attack the nervous system, hence the disease's full name, poliomyelitis. Myelitis meaning the inflammation of the spinal cord. This can start with severe back and neck stiffness, deep muscle pain, and paralysis, which can be either short-lived or permanent. Many patients regain muscle functionality and sensitivity either from six months to two years, but about one in 200 cases remain completely paralyzed for life. With severe cases of this paralysis comes the dysfunction of the muscles required to breathe and that's where the iron lung comes in. Now the iron lung today has fallen out of favor not only because it's it's not really required anymore because the vaccine has prevented the need for it but also they're just really costly to maintain and difficult to find people who actually know how to operate or fix them if something happens. You can't really call up your iron lung mechanic today. Get my iron lung guy on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's got a guy to fix their iron lung. The polio vaccine that was discovered in the 1950s remains one of the greatest triumphs of human medicine. Much like the smallpox vaccine, we were able to eradicate the disease in the United States, which is absolutely incredible. Today, there's only two countries that still consider polio an endemic disease, and those are Pakistan and Afghanistan.
1: As if you needed any other reason not to visit Afghanistan. (laughs) The only thing worse than an anti-vaxxer Facebook group is the Taliban.
2: I'd, I'd say that is a little bit worse. Modern methods of artificial breathing require intubation or a mask-like device that kind of looks like a nebulizer, except for it covers the whole face. And instead of negative pressure, it operates by positive pressure, forcing air into the lungs. This was developed in like the 1940s, 1950s, what we know today. There's also the process of intubation, which I'd imagine would be more common now in the treatment of polio, as they're more commonly used in surgeries to facilitate artificial breathing and typically just a lot more common in a hospital setting. Now we have to ask yourself, did it work? Well, actually, yes, it did. During its peak use from the 1930s to the 1950s, it's estimated that the iron lung saved thousands of lives, most of whom were children at the time. Which brings us to the incredible story of Paul Alexander. I know Shane knows about him. Jill, do you know about this guy?
0: No, please enlighten me.
2: It's an incredible story. Alexander, born in 1946, caught the polio virus at age six. He was part of this, like there was a really, really bad year in Dallas, Texas, where a lot of children contracted polio and he was unfortunately one of them and he was also one of the one of the kids that was left completely paralyzed from the neck down but undeterred, Alexander continued his education through homeschool, learning to memorize information rather than note-taking. He can't physically move his arms to take notes. At the age of 21, Alexander graduated from his high school second in his class. But wait, there's even more. Despite being confined to his iron lung, Alexander went on to graduate from law school in 1984 and works to this very day as a lawyer. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That's pretty incredible. That's incredible. And I know we were talking about it before the podcast, but he would he's, like, trained himself to, like, manually breathe sometimes when it can't be in the iron lung for a case. That's pretty crazy.
0: That's actually like a miracle story. <laughs> wow.
2: It's crazy to think. And it's crazy to think too that you couldn't, I mean, I guess, you know, you were in the iron lung for so long, there's really no rehabilitation for that because right. you're the, the the nerves and the muscle fibers are probably just worn away at this point but still i mean the fact that you could live that long and we, I, don't, I don't think anyone like that's one of the few cases i think out there that actually people could talk about because either you survived in the iron lung for a long term like alexander did or you eventually succumbed to your polio infection either way it's a brutal life yeah that's rough He'd beat the odds though
0: so do you think that it should still be used for covid and oh, other absolutely not. Today?
2: no no way <laughs> no no that's uh there's a reason why we put people on ventilators and it's it, it for the exact reasons why the iron lung is not good is the reason why we use ventilators today
0: it's like vaccine or going in iron lung.
2: vaccine mm, we should we should pose that to the anti-vaccine group do you guys <laughs> want to bring back the iron lung yeah I think the iron butt makes more sense.
0: Hashtag Iron Lung Revival 2021.
1: What if they could make them, like upright and mobile like a Segway? What if it and was you like... You just like I wheel, could wheel around and' You could them.
2: like stick your arms out and your legs, even though they wouldn't...
0: That's like, again, relates to SpongeBob.
2: Right. <laughs> and... Right.
0: When that guy was selling stuff to Spongebob and Patrick, when Spongebob and Patrick were trying to sell chocolate, and he acted like he was injured and he was wrapped right. up in the,
2: with the thing. That's what I'm saying. He could have used
1: an iron lung. I had to look up the iron the iron butt. Everything yeah. just
0: relates yeah. back to Spongebob. But look, there's Let's another image of a
1: Spongebob in it. My friend just posted it in our group chat. Here's another image of Spongebob in an iron lung. Yes. <laughs> and then I looked up the iron butt, too, and I
2: started laughing about it. Well, you know that, I mean, the Spongebob is supposed to be set in, like, the 1950s. What? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. It is. Really? yeah. So that's why. I, I guess it would make more sense what? medically. Yeah. Because it's, it's based on Bikini Atoll, which was, like, the yeah. bombings that they were doing. And that was in the 50s. It's supposed to be set right after that. I'm trying to disprove that, but I can't. I know.
0: I'm mind blown, because I'm also trying to disprove it, and I can't either. <laughs> wow.
2: You know, there's never any, like the love for superheroes and, like, the glamour. The TVs yeah. are really old. That yeah, is antennas. true. And they got
0: the
1: tubes. Yeah. Cathode tubes. And
0: the superheroes are very old-fashioned dressed. Exactly. <laughs> wow.
1: So, yeah, iron iron butt
2: in... The iron butt, we so should bring iron the iron long, butt back.
0: What grade would you give that?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, in terms of effectiveness... It worked. For its time, A. Yeah, it was really advanced for it, the time. Yeah, it worked well. Yeah. But in terms of use in today... I mean, sure. So First of
0: it's all... higher than trepanation or? Ooh,
2: it... ooh, ooh. That's Definitely t- higher than trepanation. Yeah. Trepanation's garbage. There's a reason why <laughs> the iron lung was used last century and trepanation was used in cave painting times. Yeah, so. Cave painting times. I think they call it Neolithic times. <laughs> nah, cave painting times.
1: <laughs> so I would, if it were up to me choosing like an iron lung or being intubated, I think intubation's really invasive they like you know shove a tube down your
2: throat it's intubasive it, intubasive hey yeah, that's intubate. i yeah. like that that's an unintentional whatever but it's it's short term or at least it can be short term that's the thing iron lungs the iron lungs in in many cases were short term too
1: there would be a period during the like during the treatment of polio where they would be in it for a couple of weeks and then or even like people who are like mildly paralyzed they might go in it during like a bad spell When the polio would, they'd have like a polio attack years later. But then there's also the cases of like Paul Alexander, where they're in it for their entire lives.
2: Do you? It reminded me a little bit about like the. You remember a mountain man episode when I talked about um, when he got diphtheria, and the the medicine woman had to like force food down his throat and and stuff like that. I wonder if you could do the same thing like to the esophagus that you do in ventilation. What do you mean, like a a tube, like Like force someone, yeah? Well, yeah, like well feeding not, tube. not like a feeding tube, but I'm saying... We do that. Well, that, that's, a, that's an invasive thing. I'm saying like a non-invasive thing, like an iron lung. Where you they know what?
1: shove food down your throat.
2: Yeah. Like a feeding tube. But it's, that's a... You know what? Never mind.
1: Cut. Cut. We're done. Cut. <laughs> I think the episode's just going to be that. Yeah. It's yeah. just like a feeding tube. That yeah. could be a
0: whole new episode that we can talk Talking about. Talking about
1: feeding tubes. So we just did iron long, and now we're going to do heliotherapy.
0: Yeah. So heliotherapy, when I was looking this up, I know it's for smallpox and tuberculosis of the skin in this instance, but I actually found this very intriguing because a lot of people that I know, because heliotherapy, as we know, is it's... A therapy from the sun like going outside and using artificial or natural sunlight for curing things people i know today still have told me oh i need to go outside it helps my acne or they've told me i've been in a tanning bed and i've never had acne again so i thought this was a very intriguing topic and it actually originated back from niels ryberg finson he won a Nobel prize for his work in heliotherapy and he started this because He had his own health issues and he decided maybe I can go outside and the sun will do something and then he also started to see how animals reacted and then he began his own clinical trials using both natural and artificial sunlight and he decided to focus on smallpox and tuberculosis because it supposedly killed the harmful bacteria that would enter your skin. And a lot of his work and the findings with these dermatologic lesions won him this Nobel Peace Prize. And also, although this has been eradicated in the present day, because there's a lot of therapies available, antimicrobial therapies, and it's used for more conditions such as people have seasonal depression when the sun's not out as much. And I know psoriasis it's used. Heliotherapy can be used, like I said, for acne or eczema. It's also heavily studied now more with the release of endorphins like i said seasonal depression and they say that it connects more to the suppression of immune system mediated inflammatory responses in the skin although as a warning heliotherapy please use this cautiously if you're going to do this yourself because as we know prolonged exposure to any sunlight is more likely to get skin cancer so i thought this was very interesting because like i said i know people who say today to me like when we talk about skin issues like oh i need to go to tanning bed again like my eczema is flaming up. So what do you guys think? How have you seen this used?
2: It's interesting that you brought up acne because I have noticed my our listeners know if they listened a long time ago I took Accutane for a while for my acne and I, first of all never take Accutane but if uh, no no it's a bad drug. I've
0: heard very intense stories. Terrible drug. With it's that.
2: the worst thing ever but I did notice that while I was trying other drugs that my acne would be better in the summer than it would be in the winter. And that's... I'm sure everyone has experienced that, whoever has had acne. But I, I was i was thinking about it killing bacteria, and I don't think that would necessarily be how it works. If anything, sunlight might actually worsen the amount of bacteria on your face because a lot of bacteria require sunlight for energy. And if they're not using it, like, if they're not, like having intracellular uh, intracellular metabolism to to get their energy, uh, they use the sunlight. But what it actually would do probably is clean up your pores and and make it less clogged, I guess, because you're actually shrinking those pores themselves when you're tanning. That's what tanning actually is. You're actually shrinking your skin. Hmm. So I, I think it wouldn't have as many places to grow.
0: And going off of that, what you just said about the pores, I think people also think it clears up the bacteria because, like the if they turn very tan. It'll just hide it, but then the minute you stop going outside, it comes right back. Right. Basically, so I think people put that together like, oh, it's killing all the bacteria just because they have like a a bronze tone covering their face. It's, it's or a their good body. myth,
2: but it's a yeah. bit of a misnomer. Yeah. I feel like it could kill bacteria. I don't know if bacteria using. Some are sunlight sensitive. But I uh, don't know about... UV rays
1: can kill bacteria. In fact, it's mm-hmm. a technology that we use still because it's, mm-hmm. it's got antimicrobial properties. In fact, think they're using it. it
2: to clean out airplanes. They're think using about, about UV lights. Think about those new infrared things that can clear out HSV, like cold sores and stuff. Huh, yeah. That's, that's interesting, too. But that's a virus, so I don't yeah. know if that operates differently. Don't
0: they even use like a type of UV on the phones, like to clean your phones? Yeah, so yeah. that's for yeah. bacteria.
1: A lot of different types of... Uh, light rays to clean stuff because it, it's so good at killing bacteria. In fact, I think a lot of dog foods, they clean with gamma rays. I could be wrong about that, but I think that they irradiate with gamma dog food. I don't know why that's so like one specific weird knowledge that I have.
2: I feel like I've heard but that before. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, like, a, it's
1: a thing. I think that's a thing and it's totally harmless. It's not going to hurt your dog, it, but it gets rid of the bacteria in the dog food.
0: I never heard that, but that's very interesting.
1: Maybe it was a dream I had. Yeah.
0: One of your light show dreams. Was yeah, it? I think so. It
1: was, it was gamma rays. There was the Hulk was there. Was there. Hulk there. So. Um, that's that's really interesting, the speculation behind that. I, uh, heliotherapy, I think, has a lot of benefits. Like you said, it's got some huge benefits. For mood, vitamin D is really important uh, for a, a bunch of processes in the body, and it's only converted uh, from into a usable form by sunlight. We just learned this, actually. Mm-hmm. And you don't need a whole lot of sunlight, either. No, not um, at all. Like, between 5 and 30 minutes twice a week, and that's enough sunlight to get your, your vitamin D that you need. Obviously, it's harder in the winter, but that's the time when you can get vitamin D supplementation. You can get something over the counter or you can get a prescription or for you it. just stay in the sun a little bit longer or eh, i mean it's cloudy out or you can get sunlight lamps they actually have really effective sunlight lamps which do the same do the same thing 30 minutes like twice mm-hmm. a week i've actually seen prescriptions for sunlight before usually like just as a reminder to the patient like hey don't forget to get some sun but i've actually seen it in like a handwritten prescription sunlight 30 minutes twice a week
2: mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. It's also good for boosting your immune system. So, like right. stuff like acne, maybe even that definitely help a little bit. Yeah. So, as far as for smallpox and tuberculosis, I think it would be really effective
1: if you have a tuberculosis cultivation on the skin. I think that using UV light—that's a pretty smart way to to kill off bacteria and then also to bolster the immune response by by um, facilitating the vitamin D production in that area. I think that's really interesting nowadays. So, smallpox does not have a cure. Supportive care and a vaccine given within a few days of exposure can drastically improve outcomes of infection with smallpox. But smallpox isn't really a problem today because of the vaccine developed in 1796 by Edward Jenner, not related to the Kardashians. Smallpox was declared eradicated by the vaccine in the United States in 1952. And the smallpox vaccine was removed from routine vaccinations in the U.S. about 20 years later. The smallpox vaccine was really different from modern vaccines. I recommend you looking up like a smallpox inoculation needle. They're pretty freaky looking. Smallpox was a live virus. They used a virus closely related to smallpox. It was called the vaccinia virus. And it wasn't injected with a typical hypodermic needle into the muscle like the flu shot or the COVID vaccine, which we have had experience with recently. It's a bifurcated needle, which is a two-pronged needle that looks like a barbecue fork. It's really, really creepy. With this needle, the vaccine is delivered intradermally really shallow right into the skin with multiple punctures i mean it's like they're tattooing it into your skin it really is because they'll like do like i don't know if you can see this but (laughs) it's like they tattoo it into your skin it's it's bizarre but it's effective and it causes a small blister because the immune response is reacting to a live virus i think it's going to freak out a little bit more and like have a stronger response so it, it the blister scabs over and very commonly forms a scar about the size of a dime. It's usually a little lower than the skin around it, sort of like a shallow crater. And I've actually seen this scar on a, on a number of my patients when I go to give them the flu shot. And for a long time, I didn't know what it was. And I was like, oh, all these old people have the same birthmark. But it's actually the the smallpox vaccine. Oh. So they've got like a really, really—once you start to recognize it, it's, it—, it it's pretty easy to recognize. It's like a little crater right where they would get a normal flu shot. Okay. So keep an eye out for it. Like mm. patients older than like 50 or
2: 60 are are really likely to have it because they were around in that time before it was removed from the this typical regimen. I was going to say I wonder like the only other thing that I can think of that's given intradermally is like a TB assay. So it's just right. kind of interesting that the, like those would coincide together, I guess.
0: Yeah. In terms of heliotherapy with these smallpox patients like you're saying they're older that actually makes it more interesting because usually they say when you're older to like stay out of being in like heat like I'm thinking about like the summer or something like an older person shouldn't be in the sun that long or the heat so I'm curious if that therapy would actually help them or make it worse for their health.
1: Huh that's interesting that's an interesting point yeah I don't know since it typically at the time they were using it for people who were younger and it's just now that they've they've survived they've gotten I older got that's, that is really interesting. I wonder if there would be issues using it on like an older person. But older maybe. people do need more vitamin D supplementation. So that maybe it would. it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the negative effects would be from a like unfiltered sunlight to UV ultraviolet heliotherapy. <laughs> But so, yeah, so it was stopped in, in 1972. So most people don't have the scar nowadays, but anyone before that year could totally have it. Tuberculosis is a little bit different because it's a bacteria. For centuries, tuberculosis was a death sentence, a slow, agonizing death wherein people would would waste away. That's why they called it consumption, because it, it would seem like people are being consumed by this disease. It would become emaciated, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a real doozy. Tuberculosis is treated nowadays with a cocktail of four to five drugs. Isoniazid, pyrazinamide, ethambutol, rifampin, and a B6 vitamin to offset the side effects of one of the treatments. Mycobacterium. It is. It's a cocktail. It's, <laughs> it's one cocktail. of the probably one of the more extensive multi-drug cocktails. Mm-hmm, I, I'd yeah. say that that we've learned for sure because mm-hmm. there's cocktails for like endocarditis, which is a heart infection. If you get an infection on your heart valve, you also need a similar cocktail. But I don't think it's as many drugs, nor is it for as long of a period
2: of time. HIV might be the closest thing that I can think that's,
1: of. That's true, but that's viral. So yeah. that's, I, that is,
2: that's definitely a good I mean, though. you got a lot of... That's a big cocktail, though. That's yeah. f- at least three or four at drugs. At least
1: three drugs, and that's typically life mm-hmm. lifelong. But as far as bacterial infections, I'd say this is probably one of the most intense ones. So... Mycobacterium tuberculosis lives in a thick, waxy capsule. It makes them unique amongst bacteria in that they can very effectively and consistently evade our body's immune system. Because of this resilience, tuberculosis ends up being one of the longest courses of antibiotics you might typically see. Patients could be on their antibiotic regimen anywhere from 6 to 12 months. Which is a really, really long time to be on antibiotics. That, like, I cannot imagine being on antibiotics yeah, for that that's long.
0: That's a very long. Having diarrhea of time for that right.
1: long. No, would uh, Not fun. Interestingly, tuberculosis may be really hard to treat, but it's not very contagious. Like viral illnesses, like the flu or COVID, people with compromised immune systems, such as those living with HIV, are much more susceptible to tuberculosis than the general population. And I think this is another instance where if you have a tuberculosis skin infection, it's going to be uh, really, really similar effects of treatment, whereas the, the heliotherapy is going to kill some of, those, some of the, the, the cells that are cultured on the skin and then also sort of bolster the immune system with the vitamin D supplementation as well. But as far as treatments comparing it to treatments we have now, I don't think it, it really compares to a vaccine or the antibiotic treatment that we have now. If you have if you have tuberculosis, you just need to get on that that 6-month cocktail. Oh, yeah.
2: Now, it's really interesting here because this is what I was thinking of the entire time we were talking about tuberculosis. And this is this this was like a crazy like fever dream kind of thought. But like what if you had a bronchoscope that could go into the lungs if say you had a tuberculosis infection in the lungs because that's where tuberculosis is going to present more then on the skin at right. least. So what if you had a bronchoscope that could go down and had a UV light that could maybe help with your TB infection? And then I was looking it up if my fever dream idea was it was real. And apparently it's being studied as a potential potential COVID nineteen treatment. Really? For the same reason. So UV bronchoscope.
1: So they're actually putting the light in your lungs. Yeah, with a bronchoscope. Hmm.
0: They're really um, brainstorming here during COVID-19. i I've Between this and bringing back the iron lung for this virus, I'm just like mind blown by it.
1: How about this? Iron lung tanning bed. <laughs> Two in
2: one.
0: Let's make, let's make it happen. Let's, let's get a pat for patent. Funding. Let's do it. If
2: we're bringing it back, we got to have the amenities. Let's make a Kickstarter. <laughs> <sighs> it also said, I'm just reading this article off because now I'm mind boggled, but... Apparently, it can also help in treating opportunistic infections associated with ventilator-associated pneumonia. Hmm. That makes sense. Brings back the iron lung, though. I'm just saying. Maybe you wouldn't even need it. So it's like that. a
0: one-stop shop. Like, you're in this iron lung. You're getting, like, color in your skin. You don't have skin conditions. If you're to like...
2: be in an iron lung, you gotta be, You got to have your skin on point at the very least. But what about, like, the... The tissue damage that could cause by
1: exposing some part of your body that's not supposed to see sunlight to, to UV radiation. What if it causes, like, fibrosis or, like, other, like, whack tissue? Maybe.
2: I mean, what if it's going to give you lung I mean, cancer? you're introducing, yeah, something that could potentially your cause... Your lungs, the carson- whole,
1: all of your, the inside of your body is not supposed to see sunlight. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden it's just like, let's, let's shine a light into this dark space and yeah. see what happens. This tissue that's
2: not, not supposed to handle sunlight. Sometimes you just can't, you're not supposed to see things in the abyss. Yeah, you don't shine a light on those. You might get cancer.
1: Like our our, our skin has like a, a pretty decent layer of like protective tissue over it that's gonna protect against like certain degree of sunlight. It's got like the, the dead, uh, is it keratin? That's like the yeah. top couple of layers of, uh, yeah keratin and and melanin, which protect your skin, your lung tissue is going to be really, really
2: sensitive. See, that's why I thought it was a fever dream, honestly, because it seemed about as efficacious as just like inhaling some Lysol. (laughs) But I mean, if they're researching it, I guess that shows you how crazy of ideas that we thought for COVID-19 before we could develop the vaccine. Right. I mean, how non-effective things like Plaquenil and other things were.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, iron lung tanning bed coming soon to a, a Walgreens near you.
0: We're gonna make it happen, this collab right here. Gonna patent it, everything.
2: <laughs> I'm curious how much an iron lung iron costs. Fifteen hundred, that's it. In the thirties. Yeah, oh. that's
0: that was why they were thinking about it, because since it's readily producible, it's also considered a cheaper item to make, especially when they were having limitations in the hospitals and they were understaffed and didn't have enough rooms and stuff. They just thought, let's throw these iron lungs in somewhere. <laughs> and put people on them.
1: They have used it so many times in SpongeBob. Why do they just keep going back to right? it? Patrick's been in it, SpongeBob's it, been in it, they got the iron butt,
2: <laughs> Miss Puff it was in right it. It went right
0: over my head when I was younger watching it, but right. now watching it's funny.
2: It's coming all back now. <laughs> That's
1: ridiculous. We should do an analysis of the, the iron lung in SpongeBob. Oh yeah, the iron
2: butt specifically. The I iron think. butt.
0: How SpongeBob influenced healthcare. That, that should be sure. an episode.
2: I aspire to be the doctor from Spongebob. Oh, my God. It was just like, no, there's nothing we can do here.
0: And the, even the episode, the doctor was trying to help Mr. Krabs, and they were like, doctor, like, he doesn't have insurance. Like, I just throw the him outside. With, yeah, the
2: one where they left the mattress in the dump. You don't know yes. what I'm talking about? Yeah, that one. And they just kicked <laughs> him out of the hospital and shot him down the hill. That was That's, good. I haven't
1: watched Spongebob in a long time. I don't have TV. It was a little bit after your
2: time, I think, because you were. I grew up on SpongeBob. Yeah. Like that. you would grew up on the good Spongebobs at least. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I did. Then it just went it downhill. Went, Post really two thousand six it was not good. Yeah, after the movie it kinda went downhill. The yeah. first yes, Spongebob movie, the movie. That's a good that's a good milestone Yeah.
0: goober. And now they have like they made a new show where it's supposed to be like a prequel to it and like how they met and stuff. Yeah, it's
1: like. Honestly, like the first season, like with Bubble Buddy and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Oh that, my that... God, yeah. When, when SpongeBob and
2: Squidward weren't like colored in fully. Yeah, yeah like the animation makes a big difference. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: I love the old animation, like the original hand-drawn SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's way better. It's so funny. Okay, so that is, that is all our old-timey medical treatments for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know in the comments what you want us to look up next. Send us an email. Send Farm us money. Yes, send this money for the iron long and tanning bed. We're going to start a Kickstarter. It's going to be about, I think, about $100 million. So we're trying to make that goal within a couple of uh, minutes. But it's going, be so. than was, so. it's going to be cheaper than Zolgensma was. It's going to be cheaper than Zolgensma.
0: Easy money right there. And thank you both for having me on your show. This was so much fun. And I hope we get to collab again in the
1: yeah. future. Of, of course. Thank you for having us on your show, since this is a collaboration and we're both going to be posting this. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. And special
0: thanks to Kelly Kerr for making our music.